1: And it is Lifeline with uh, Pastor Phil Howard here today. It is our fourth Friday of the month, so uh, as, um, as KFAX is always kind to do, we get that fourth Friday here on Lifeline to be able to spend it with you and enjoy some time together. Well, tonight, it's a real special night because uh, Pastor Phil Howard was drug in by his older brother and by the scruff of his neck, just walking down memory lane, right? <laughs> because <laughs> that happened a few times if if memory serves from stories past still but we, healing. still, still <laughs> healing <laughs> yeah, yeah it's uh it is it's going to be a delight to spend time with uh uh david your brother here phil um but before we get to david while we are hot off of the uh uh while we're hot off of uh easter I want to visit that again. I know you do, too, because we tend to relegate, just like Christmas, we tend to relegate Easter and this whole event that we celebrate to one moment in time each calendar year. And it's something that should actually be taking place in the hearts and minds of Christians just about every moment of every day, isn't it? Every
2: day. I I think uh, especially when they uh, discovered the catacombs in Rome— uh, it was interesting to see uh, the uh, pagan epitaphs uh, in these tombs are no singing, uh, in these graves are no hope. And then you go over to the believers, a common epitaph was asleep in Jesus, uh, forever his, hope Hope in the cemetery changed death forever for believers. And then I always like to think the last sightings of this uh, wonderful Savior was 90 A.D. on an island, and uh, he looked quite healthy. Uh, The feet were on fire. The voice was like the voice of many waters. I'm telling you, this was no impotent, uh, crippled old man. This was a powerful, powerful Savior. And this is about 60 years after the empty tomb. Right. So he wasn't decaying and he wasn't declining. He was in all power. And nothing has changed some 2,000 years later. Nothing has changed. In two thousand years,
1: as we celebrate Easter, we do so. We, we we celebrate the empty tomb. We celebrate Good Friday and the cross. Monday, Thursday. If you're looking at it chron- chronologically, the the Last Supper, and uh, some churches will even do a Seder. Uh, I know my church does. And and these are some amazing events to consider. But one of the things we fail to really address and look at is. Post tomb, how how do we how do we respond as Christians to what we just celebrated last week, this week? I think that's the big question. I think uh,
2: I would start by saying, uh, uh, is Christ hiding somewhere? Uh, did he go to sleep? Uh, is that it? Uh, and yet you see verses that. We are being saved in the present tense by the ongoing ministry of Christ at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews seven twenty five. He is saving us, interceding for us, and saving us to the uttermost. So what in the world is Christ doing? Hiding out in the neighborhood or carrying on a vocation at the right hand of God? And uh, I think, first of all, He said in Romans 8, one of the reasons we're saved forever is we've got someone that intercedes for us without break. Uh, You know, it's wonderful to believe the gospel, and that does declare you right. But that wasn't all that was done. It doesn't stop there. Right now, a resurrected living Christ is pleading what he did at the cross and at the empty tomb. Presently, as my defense and as his, presenting us to the Father, I have. I hope most Christians we were praying for you, and I hope they're not lying, and I hope they really are. But I'm telling you, if nobody else is, he is, hmm. and that he's on duty. A, I, a dead Christ can't help me. Right. Uh, I often think if I went to a, a gym. And they had a pool and they had a sign up, the world's greatest lifeguard worked here until he died. I thought, I sure hope I don't drown. Uh, You know, I hope I don't get into crises because a dead lifeguard is worthless. Right. And so our lifeguard isn't dead. He's on duty.
1: And, And where is he on duty? Is he just on duty over in the corner somewhere? What is the significance of where he currently is? Well, uh, Hebrews says he went back to the
2: inner veil, and he took the effects of his atonement, his blood, and he's right in the very face of God, facing the Father. And then here we have something in Scripture that says, uh, "I will advocate for you in the midst of your sin." Now, now wait, what? John says that, and and get the difference. Interceding, he's standing between me and the Father, Mm -hmm. and he's pleading. He needs help. The Holy Spirit's interceding. But when he advocates for me, he stands with me in the accusation box before Mm -hmm. the judge. He said, I'll be your advocate in the court when sin comes up. When Satan's there to accuse you, and he doesn't have to make up much to find you <laughs> no, guilty of a whole lot. Yeah. Just tell how you lived the last twenty-four hours, and he says, "I write that you don't even sin, not even once." He said that in John, First John, two, one, and in the Greek, that I, I'm writing that you won't ever sin, but I know you will, and when you do, Christ is the court-appointed defender of the accused. And he says, in court, I'll face the father for you, and I'll face
1: all the indictments. Not only that, but he doesn't even wait for the courtroom, does he? He goes right into the judge's chambers. It's not like he's on the phone. It's not like he's by proxy. He is in the very... Office. He happens to be seated next to him, facing him, and he can call him
2: Father. Oh. And And here I am. I have no defense. I sinned. I was wrong. Uh, to, to him that knoweth to do good and does not do it, it's sin. So I wasn't ignorant. I knew what I did. Yeah. I, I chose to do it. What could be the defense? He said, guess what? What I did on the cross— And I vindicated that it was effective by my resurrection. Romans 4.25, he was delivered and raised from the dead to prove that our justification before God is intact. The check, I often say he wrote the check on Good Friday. It passed the bank on Easter morning. God says sufficient funds is covered. And so he is actively—just think, if he did nothing but defend his accused people. He said in Revelation 12, someday in the future, he will cast down the accuser of the brethren, Satan, that ancient dragon and lion that always brings up—look how much you must accuse God's character. How can you be holy— and associate with so many unholy people. Yeah. How can you be their God? He said, the work of my son is the only basis.
1: Hmm. Well, from there, uh, we're going to take a quick time out. But when we come back, I want to piggyback off of that very thought. Because I, if 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 I'm not mistaken, if I'm thinking the way most other Christians probably think, we tend to look at Easter and this event on the cross and in the empty tomb as a moment in time and not something to apply continually. And on the other side of this break, we'll clarify that a little bit more. Trust us. Don't go away. We're going to come back as we continue on Lifeline here with Pastor Phil Howard on our special Truth for Today Edition. And we are back. It's Lifeline Andy Freudland, along with our guest host tonight, Pastor Phil Howard. His brother David's going to join us here in just a few minutes as well. We're just kind of piggybacking off of off of celebrating Easter, and just before the break, Phil, I was mentioning the fact that a lot of folks tend to view Easter as a one and done. It's, mm-hmm. it's an event, it's a moment in time, and now we move on. And this is great, it changes the way I do things, but does it really? And this is, I guess this is where I'm getting at. I think a lot of folks don't stop to consider or practice or make a habit in their lives of the notion that Christ interceding for us is a great deterrent as well, is it not? Absolutely, absolutely. And
2: I, I think, uh, you know, there's, it's like your holiness people. Let's say the Wesleys. Let's go back to 1700s. Sure. Uh, that it's one thing our Reformed brethren uh, champion the idea of justification by faith. They didn't invent it. They made it available just like Paul taught it. But I I think the big issue is not have I been justified, but how am I overcoming sin? Is there any power in the Christian life? Is it only blood? Is it only a once for all faith? And I think of what he said in Ephesians. He's writing them, and he says, I want you ignorant believers. I just told you what you got, but you don't get it. And he tells them that. Now I'm going to intercede. Father, make them know what you've done. And he says, I wish you could know the incomparably great power God has shown toward us who believe. That power is the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Wait, wait. You're telling me God exerted as much power to save us as he did to raise his son? Well, that's what he said. Yes. I'm just going on what God spoke, and he didn't stutter. This is what he said. Far above all rule and authority, uh, God is the one that placed all things under his feet. But listen to what he says. As for you. Us personally, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler, Satan, of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now energizing those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them and at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of his wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace You've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ. According to God's Word, I'm seated in the third heaven right now. My body hasn't caught up, but I'm there in God's sight. I've been raised up. I'm seated with Christ in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Let's ask this question. Uh, We talk about the Bay Area in which us men live and minister. Uh, I I went to school in the Midwest. I went to school at what they would call the buckle of the Bible Belt, Dallas, Texas. And when they would talk about the West Coast, we were known for our sin, We were known for the 60s. We were known for drugs. We were known for alternate lifestyle. We were known for everything but doing anything to please God. And they would talk to me, said, man, you're into foreign missions, aren't you? Anything west of the Sierra Nevada was foreign (laughs) missions. And I said— if I didn't think our gospel had the power to set a man free, I would never go to the Bay Area where I grew up. But our gospel is not impotent. It is God's power, God's power. And where is that power measured? You've got to go to the empty tomb. And let's ask all of our alternate religion people, can you show me a picture of your founder being raised from the dead? We have no pictures because we can't find the dead body. We've never found the bones. And we saw him in 90 AD in Revelation 1 when a man is on a windy island called Patmos. I've been on that island. I've been in that cave where God gave him the book of Revelation. And guess what? There is no visible evidence that Christ and his parts are on this earth. He went up. To the third heaven, and that same power is exercised in saving hell-bound sinners. I love what Isaiah said at Psalms 19.1. When God described the heavens, He called it His finger work. But in Isaiah, He said, "When I want to save a man, I made my arm bare. Yes, my right arm." reached down and rescued him. Let me say, dear believer, you may feel defeated. You may feel beat up right now. But there's more power at your disposal by trusting and relying on Christ because no dead Christ, no dead Christ can save us. A living Christ is what's changing millions of believers throughout history. And right now, just because he's not saving in your church, maybe, that doesn't mean he's not saving. Probably 100,000 people a day, according to statistics, are being saved in the world
1: somewhere today. Coming to Christ. Well, and it's not just that as well, what was it uh, who is it? Booth, who was the founder of the um, Salvation, Salvation Army. Army, was asked by one of one of his workers who didn't know who he was, Sir on the street, Sir, are you are have you been saved? And to which Booth said, What do you mean? Have I been saved? Am I being saved or will I be saved? Because we do. We get saved from the penalty of sin. Yes. We are saved from the power of sin, and one day soon we'll be saved from the presence of sin. Yes, sure. And you've talked about uh, God's ability, his power in all of this, and it is displayed supremely in the cross and in an empty tomb. But what about his desire? The love of God constrains us. It's not just Christ at the right hand of God, whoever lives to make intercession for us. It's our elder brother. What does the love of God in Christ play? What part does the, God's love play in our ability uh, to be sanctified through this same power you're talking about?
2: Well, it's the issue of it, does anything happen in a man once he puts faith in Christ? Hmm. Uh, you, you know, we're all well acquainted with the sin nature. We're good at it. We grew up on it. It was our natural habitat. Yeah. Uh, But all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, I think of my own brother. He was a great gambler, and he bought his school clothes with gambling money. He hung out in pool halls from a young age and and made money. He was a good gambler, uh, if there is such a thing. But he was good at it. But I saw God turn a man that was a gambler, whatever, into a giver into a man that was looking for single parents that needed help buying uh, orthodontics for their kids, paying tuition for kids. Oh, I said, who made that transformation? Uh, Why did you? Uh, I remember in our old dance hall, uh, he and another couple in our church, they would wax that hall, a, a regular dance hall. They would mop it with their wives and they spent all day Saturday waxing it. Care. And here was a man that was big stuff in the city where he worked, knew a lot of people, was up to his ears in politics. And all of a sudden, he's wearing a towel. He becomes a servant. He becomes a giver. Uh, he gave me my start economically in life. He helped so many people. Uh, life transformations Uh, And I think of William Booth, went to the roughest parts of London and the slums, uh, would go into brothels. He and even Catherine, his wife, uh, they would be spit on, garbage thrown at them. They would break into brothels and rescue the girls. And maybe the guy selling that girl wants to beat them up, but they would pull them out of the jaws of death bring them to Christ clean them up oh no friend we're not talking about religion or joining a club we're talking about new desires new the love of Christ constrains Strange. us yep. second corinthians no no we're motivated not by money not by fame uh, uh e. hill used to say not for gold and not for glory but yeah. for god Amen. And so that we are animated and we live for another. uh, That's why money, power, fame, it's all laid at his feet. Because the one who rescued us through his poverty made us rich. We're the richest people on the planet.
1: Did it because of love. Because of love. We need to take a quick time out. We will continue the conversation on the other side of this break. It is our Friday night edition, Truth, Truth For Today edition of Lifeline. And we are back. It's Lifeline, Andy Froyland, along with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules, Pastor Emeritus. Uh, Truth For Today edition of Lifeline, which, by the way, you can uh, catch Truth For Today, Monday through Friday, 5.30 in the morning, and Sundays at 8.30 in the morning, and it's a great way to get the day started. And if you can't make it to church, a great way to get it, get your Sunday going uh, with Truth For Today and Pastor Phil Howard. You kind of uh, alluded to the guy. I mean, we talked about it right at the beginning. I mean, he brought you in by the scruff of your neck because I can't do that. <laughs> Neither can Chuck. Only an older brother can do that. Uh, You you alluded to David, uh, who joins us in studio here today as well, um, to talk about how grace not only saves, but sustains and brings us to the end of life. And uh, it's a delight having you with us, David. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, there you go. Grab that sucker, and there you go. You should be able to. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Well, it's good to have you with us. You know, I, I, before we get rolling on this, just to, to kind of get, get us jump-started on this a bit, I remember my first trip to Wales. Um, it was a mission trip that our church took. And the median age of the church that we went to was 55. And there were no kids. Uh, and that was Martin lloyd Jones's first church uh, there, there in Sandfields. And I remember meeting Ivor Davies. He was 98, and he wept. Because the average age of our mission team was about 28. (laughs) And he was so delighted to see the Lord continuing on. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't until later... We'd already gotten home that it dawned on me what I was seeing was God being faithful to allow us to finish well. And I, I, I've I always enjoyed and rejoiced in the Caleb's that I come across in my life. Mm. And, and I, I don't mind saying uh, just a little bit scared that I'm becoming a Caleb myself now. <laughs> I mean, comparatively speaking, I'm only 62, still wet behind the ears. But I'm coming up fast on that on that stage in life. David, delight having you. How has God's grace been a sustaining force in your life, and where do you see yourself going from here as a Caleb? Well, you know, you talk about Caleb, I
3: think he was 85. Yeah. yeah. Was well, I'm going to be 85 in a few, about three months. So you're just getting started. Yeah, just warming up. Yeah. Warming up. But uh, you talk about the uh, the, the transformation yeah. that takes place. If you claim salvation and you're not changed, I doubt you're saved.
1: Yeah. You know,
3: it it's going to change.
1: Yeah. If you're yeah. saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
3: And uh, I I was out doing my own thing. I had uh brothers, sisters, my dad that uh uh were all dedicated and uh the things that I saw going in, on in church didn't excite me.
1: Were you the black sheep in the family? Well sorta?
2: The lost sheep
1: for sure. Lost, yeah. You know.
2: Yeah, yeah I was
3: I was doing my own thing and so I, you know the color changed a lot of times, day to day. Yeah. And uh, I uh, a guy taught me, you know, that uh, was working on a job and I says, oh, we can't do that. And he took me aside and he says, we don't pay for Kent. Hmm. And when I was growing up, <clears throat> with me, there was no Kent. I was told to do uh, I figured out a way to get it done yeah. and uh, I had no interest in what I saw going on in church it had nothing that uh, excited me or drew me to it and you were talking about earlier about celebrating Easter and with uh, Christians I think I celebrate the resurrection you know uh, he suffered, he died, and uh, much to our shame. Hmm. But when he told Martha, he says, I, I am the resurrection. That's what I am. Yeah. He said, I'm going to see to it that you have eternal life. I was at a, at a men's uh, fellowship meeting, and When they say me, the guy didn't say anything about the gospel. He didn't say anything about anything. All he did was told me what a rascal he was. He met Christ, and he was a preacher that day. Hmm. And I thought, that's what I want. That's what I've always wanted. And uh, how do you get it? On your knees.
1: Yeah. Growing up with your dad, your mom, uh, your brothers and sisters, they had a decidedly different life. Did that have any kind of impact on you or did it just make you more rebellious? Well, I don't feel like, you know, I I was uh,
3: very deceptive. I wasn't rebelling. I didn't let them know what I was doing.
1: Ah, I didn't figure it was any of their business. You were the sneaky kind. Yes. Okay. The
2: obedient son, get it done, do the banking for my mother and all that kind of stuff. But always had a a hidden side of life, you know. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking when we uh, uh, started Valley, uh, David came uh, after we just began. I was 27. He was 34, seven-year difference between us. And uh, just got in there, and then uh, I, because I was living out of an offering bag that we didn't even pass in those days, I moved it with him at his invitation with my wife and two children. And uh, so from there, for 50 years, he has stood in this church and been one of the major—between he and Chuck— Lottie Baudier, uh, the doer, the guy that saw that our broadcast got connected with KFAX. David uh, has underwritten, recruited other men because he said, I believe the word of God that's being taught here that helped me. Because he was saved, but then, as we would say, backslid, got out of church. We, we never had any discipleship, no training. We just grew up on like a revivalistic kind of Christianity. Right. But finally started hearing the Word of God and got established. And uh, he, God, uh, burdened him behind the scenes. I'll keep underwriting. I'll keep helping. Because listener support at radio is hard to be come by. And men with more skill than us and time have done well at it. We haven't. It's just been a very few people that says the word of God will not return void. It will accomplish what God wants. And we stand amazed that 23 years have passed and that we're still on and still believe in the same gospel we started out with 60 years ago. Because he doesn't change. The gospel doesn't need to be updated. It's saints are starving to hear a word from home. And that's the word of Scripture. And he
1: believes that. And that's exactly what we do with Truth For Today on a on a daily basis, uh, m- m- barring Saturdays. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, you know, uh, six days a week, you can listen to Truth For Today here on KFAX. And uh, it is... Uh, it is a listener-supported ministry, and we need to let folks know that. I mean, uh, David, in your kindness and, and and God's ability, you've been able to help underwrite this thing, but it's always been with the purpose of letting folks know that they can come alongside and help as well, right? Yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it's one of those ministries, and I, I, and I think our listeners know here on KFAX, just about any program you listen to has that element to it, at least here on KFAX. It is... Listener-supported folks are encouraged to participate, especially with the ministries that you find uh, are blessing your life and your walk in relationship with Christ. And it is our hope and prayer, and we do trust that Truth For Today does just that. Um,
2: You know something that I I love, that David is not a guy of many words when it comes—there's no— you know, I was pastor for years. Oh, that was a great sermon. No, no, no. i, I die. die uh, in more seldom is heard an encouraging word, you know. Uh, but It'll go to your head. I, oh, I older know brothers it. know that, man. And huh? that, That'll just that's go to it. your head. know I'm dying for a good word. But he came to me one Sunday morning. We preached, and his eyes were wet from tears. And he said to me, he said, Keep preaching the grace of God, for men like me will die without hearing it. Mm. you got to keep reminding me that God found a reason to love me. I've never figured it out. But he did it anyway.
1: Put a bookmark right there, and we'll revisit that thought, because that's key to what we're talking about here tonight on Lifeline. We do need to take a quick time out, and we will come back. The conversation will continue with Pastor Phil, his brother David, and myself and you. And we are back. It's Lifeline, your Friday Truth for Today edition with Pastor Phil Howard, Pastor Emeritus at Valley Bible Church right here in Hercules. And uh, boy, you're looking for a place to worship. Uh, I would personally highly recommend Valley Bible Church in Hercules, just a, a wonderful, warm place where the gospel is proclaimed faithfully. We're not into programs and politics. We are into the gospel. Yes. Because in the gospel is where you find life. Speaking no, of that life... Huh? I, I was just going
3: to uh, interject that I learned a long time ago if you saw something that needed to be done, don't ask Ron to do it. Do it yourself. Yeah, And if everybody in the church, did their part,
1: what a place we would have. A powerhouse. It'd be a dynamo, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, what, what's the what's the old saying? It's uh, 10% do the work uh, while 90% sit on the sidelines it, and it's watch. It's 20-80 rule. 20-80
2: rule, yeah. Rule, yeah. To 20% do the giving and the serving. The other
1: 80% critique. And do the taking and the watching. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's... I know something 's got to give. You were talking it just before we took took the break and i I, I just want to get back to that again uh, this This love of God that uh, that is evident. I mean we can talk about the crucifixion, the empty tomb, the power of God, but it is the love of God that brought all that about uh, how deep the father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Um, I, I, I think that is, and I would imagine, David, you as well. I think that's where we end up camping so much is that th- this God would love someone such as I, really.
3: In in 19, the church started in seven, The church started in nineteen seventy one. In seventy two, Phil moved in with his wife and two children, and uh, before that, I was living in a home by myself. And at night, I remember one time shaking my fist at God and telling me he's getting a bad deal. Yeah,
1: it. I know. I, I look in the mirror on a regular basis, and I've got the same. Yeah. quite Really? Yeah. Me?
3: Yeah. And, and I told him, I just leave me alone. Yeah. Just leave me alone. I deserve hell. Leave me alone. Yeah. I can take it. That was my stupidity.
1: I have found uh, the the, 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 uh, scripture to be true. He who is forgiven much loves much. And you see that, don't you, in lives that have been uh, – you look at a kid who was raised in the church who followed the Ps and Qs and did everything right and dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. And they tend to be marginal as their life goes on. But it's those that uh that have been saved out of the guttermost um, who love to the uttermost.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our, our our dad was before they did away with corporal punishment. <laughs> and if you didn't do what he expected, sometime it ensued. Yeah. But God he he says, I know you've been no good. Yeah.
1: I know you still are. But I love you anyway. That's just incomprehensible at times, isn't it, David?
3: Yeah.
2: And how does he keep his character intact is the question Paul asks in Romans 3. How can God be just while declaring just a bunch of ungodly, weak men? And this is our gospel. Our gospel says... Another will bear the penalty for your wrongdoing. And the gospel says, I'll give you a righteousness you could have never achieved. And Luther called it an alien righteousness. Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, friend, this is the greatest offer under God's dear heaven to us sinners. Don't try to prove to him that you're good, you're worthy. When will you admit In my hand, nothing I cling to but to thy cross. And what you've done for me, it's the gospel. It's the old, old story. Spurgeon said, I will die in this pulpit telling you the old, old story. I don't have any new sermons. I won't invent any new truths. We will still stand in awe of this truth. God found a way to keep His character while running with ungodly people. Mm.
1: And we are a lot of them, aren't we? Oh yes. And for our listener, man, uh, you know, I, if you're like, if you're anything like David, if you're anything like me, anything like Pastor Phil, you, you have a dozen and one excuses <laughs> why to stay away from God. And like David just said, you know, you can even be shaking your fist at God, going, I, I, "I'm not worthy." Uh, like that publican, yes. bowing our heads and beating our breasts, going, "I, I am an unworthy servant. Have mercy on me." <laughs> but can anything overshadow, outweigh, outpace, outrun the love of God in Christ? I, I, I and again, now we're back to John in his his epistle. Is uh, you know, uh, behold what manner of love. The Father has lavished on us.
2: And in the Greek, it's the word foreign. Yeah. It's a foreign
1: kind of love. And and, and it's it, it, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Heirs I, and joint heirs <laughs> with how Christ. Do you,
2: how,
1: how do you wrap your mind around that? Or do you? Or do you just spend your life in in wanton wow. abandon in his love, doing all you can? to delight in him and his life.
2: Mm. Well, and I just think of thinking a post-resurrection thing. Never in the history of the world does he say, I'm now going to immerse you into the one you crucified, and I'm gonna give you credit for having died with Him." I'm going to let you be buried with him. Lord, I, I wasn't born in, you know, 30 AD. He said, no, right here in 1958, I'm going to immerse you into my son's work mm-hmm. so that in the record in heaven, I've died. I've been buried. I rose again with him. And he said, now I want you to walk in newness of life mm-hmm. like you're on the other side of the grave. No longer visit the cemetery where you used the old bar, maybe the old habits, the old lusts, the old covetousness. He said, hey, hey, that was the graveyard. Mm. We've already been resurrected. Out, Live a new kind of life because you're in a new family now.
1: There is, uh, you know, you mentioned that's the graveyard, and there is some wisdom to churches having their own graveyards. <laughs> we'll talk about that. And on the other side of this break, let's take a quick time out and uh, pay some bills around here. And when we come back, our number two of Lifeline, as we continue with Pastor Phil Howard, our Truth for Today edition this Friday evening